HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is presented by Forever Cheese. This week on Meet and 3, we're exploring the intersection between food, agriculture, and competition. Learn how a chicken raising contest in the 1940s led to the poultry industry we have today. And they were going to run a contest and try and develop what they would call the chicken of tomorrow. We'll also venture into the world of agricultural video games, where a new set of tractors is making a lot of fans happy. The biggest addition to 19 was the John Deere's. That's what everyone was hyped for. And we pay a visit to a group of Indian restaurants that aren't on the friendliest of terms. Usually they wait for my restaurant, but after a long wait, they go to next door or downstairs. But this is how they do business. They completely copy whatever we do. Embrace your competitive spirit and be the first to listen to new Meet and 3 episodes by subscribing now. That's Meet Plus Sign T-H-R-E-E. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey, guys, it's Tuesday, April 2nd, 2019. Can you believe that, guys? We're doing another lager show, and we're doing it for a reason. Um, my good buddy Jeff Lyons from uh, Keg and Lantern Brewery. I, I, I'm lucky. I still get these awesome uh, emails each week from different New York City breweries, and it lists all the beers you can buy when you're, when you're a beer bar. And Jeff's uh, jumped out at me. It was Hellas. There's a Martson, uh, there's a Dortmunder, and I thought, I think it's time to do another lager show. So, Jeff, th- thanks for uh, thinking of those beers, and thanks for coming on, man. Oh, absolutely. Uh, always happy to be here and, and be on your show and hang with you, and yeah, love brewing lagers, so that's, that's no sweat. We got a whole lager crew here, so we got everybody introduce themselves. Pete Lindjell, KCBC. And Pete, you, got, you just made a really cool uh, collaboration with Jack's Abbey, right? Yeah, it's a uh, a double collab action. We we did a Volmond beer February nineteenth under a full moon, so a bunch of their guys came down and brewed at our brewery. I went up and brewed at theirs. We made two different beers. Um, ones they're more of a Maritzen, the other we're calling a Munich Hellas. Ours is all uh, Massachusetts ingredients at the, New- at the New York brewery, and they did all New York brewery New York ingredients at their brewery up there. Well, that's great. So twist. looking forward to tasting that. We'll be talking about a lot of different lager styles. And on another brewer, uh, Sven from Svenel Brewing Company. Um, we have a uh, 
unfiltered lager called Born to Loose, and we have a margin. It's actually a keller margin, and uh, we brewed that in a collaboration with uh, Covenhoven for their fifth anniversary, which will be released here on Friday. Great, and your, your brewery is up in the Hudson Valley? We are located in Middleton, and uh, we, we're planning a tasting room opening this summer up there. And we just opened a tasting room on Court Street uh, in Cal Gardens. In Brooklyn, yeah. In Brooklyn. Great. And one, one of my favorite uh, home brewers, now you're a pro brewer. Uh, yeah, Alex Biederman um, with Keg and Lantern Brewery. And uh, yeah, I've, it's actually, I think today might mark my first full year working full-time with Jeff over at the, uh, the brewery in Greenpoint. That's great. I'm horrible because <laughs> I didn't realize that. I, he gave me nothing. Well, this is what he gave you. You're on the air. But let's talk about lager. So, Jeff, um, you know, it was so great to, to open your, your you know, sales email and say, wow, beers like Dortmunder and, and Hellas and Martz. And when, let's go back a little bit of fears. When did you first start making lagers? Um, it's funny. We did three. This is our third lager show of this year. We did uh, the Rothaus Pills show a couple weeks ago, and we did a show with uh, uh, Be United with their, some of their specialty Czech lagers recently. Yeah, yeah, I heard those. Those are, uh, were both great shows. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm one of those anomalies where I, I didn't like macro lager, and so I just kind of refused to drink it underage. Uh, I found other ways to sort of alter my reality until I, you know, got got a little bit older, past well past drinking age, before I really got into beer. Um, but I, I think I continued because of that. Uh, I never really got into lagers until. I was working at Greenpoint Beer and Ale uh, with Chris Prout and Eric Olson, and you know Chris was really, really excited about making these lagers, and we'd we'd give them a full lagering. You know, we'd be like five, six, seven weeks, and uh, we'd finally get it on tap, and he'd just be so giddy all day long, knowing that we were going to be able to sit down at the end of the shift and drink some lager. And to me, I'd, I'm coming from that macro, like uh, whatever. wasn't that excited until. We sat down with him, and his enthusiasm was just contagious. And then you start drinking the beer with him, and it's not just that feeling. Now it's like, oh, man, this is a whole other thing. This is so much better than different, in my opinion, better than, than what I'd had, you know, tasting growing up, what, what the options were. And all of a sudden, it was just sort of like the whole world was new and just kind of blew the doors off of what your, your conception of what lager was. And it sort of all started there. Yeah, they're like nuanced, refined, subtle. It's not an IPA. There's there's not a lot going on, but there is when you look at it, you know, closely. And uh, I don't know. It's kind of maybe like punk musicians starting to play jazz or something. Speaking my language now. Yeah. yeah. So Pete, when when you're up, you're in, you went to Massachusetts with New York Ingredients. Yeah. Made a beer at Jack's Abbey. Yeah, and then same night, so we did it mostly at night because it's a Volman beer, which means full moon in German. And it's a kind of a classic style, which we had, I guess Jack had sort of determined it was a Märzen originally, close to. And uh, we wanted to kind of spin it on our end, so we did a, kind of flip the ingredient, the malt bill, and made ours a lighter one. We went more heavy on the pills, lighter on the Munich, and so we got two, two kind of different beers, um, two locally sourced but different state ingredients, and they both turned out really, really good. Super and I, lo- I love the different lager styles. I mean, I forget how much I like them, you know, from Meritsons and, and Hellas. And, uh, and, and Alex, you know, you, we were talking about things you like to experiment with. One thing about lagers is the, the subtleties of, of the ingredients. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think um, 
I don't know what I've been trying to do at home, and I think we've done it quite a few times uh, at Keg and Lantern as well, is just start bringing in alternative grains that maybe you don't think of um, adjuncts, I guess, as we're supposed to call them. And I think you can, everything else is so stripped back that you can really dial in what the character might be of a given grain or a, a different thing that gets comes to play. And I think it's also interesting we're targeting it from the side of uh, New York ingredients lately and kind of trying to figure out what does the New York barley really taste like? What does the the, the kilning from the various maltsters taste like? And um, yeah, I think it, I think it's a relatively new playground. There aren't as many craft loggers out there and it, and now they're now everyone's kind of starting to do them. And I think we're going to start seeing, you know, a lot of diversity, whereas, it, you know, initially it was just, oh, let's make a Pilsner. Um, it's sort of expanding from there. Sven, you know, a year ago I had some of your beers and I, I was definitely drinking the IPA. Um, have you been making lagers since the beginning as well? Um, yes. I mean, being from Denmark, lagers are a priority. And um, and pri- quite frankly, not the very first beer that I brewed, but the second or the third, uh, both as a home brewer and, and but also professionally. Um, it, it was always a priority, and uh, the Born Too Loose has been on our program from we begin from the beginning. That's uh, great. Yeah, we and use um, we use New York State ingredients primarily. 1886 Malt House, and uh, that actually is a, uh, gives us exactly what we're looking for malt, malt wise, and uh, our our hops are American Sass, and we use Chinook as well. And Pete, KCBC. You guys have always made some lagers too, lagers and pills. Yeah, we're lager lovers. What 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 what's the first one that you worked on? Uh, I think the first one I put out was probably Strap Hanger, which is our twenty percent rice lager. It's an adjunct lager. I, uh, I just have to jump in, and not only is that an amazing beer that I would love regardless, but uh, two little over two years ago, uh, my wife and I we we got married, and. Pete and, and Zach and Tony were nice enough to let us come after we got married and, and have a bunch of our friends come in and drink some beer with us and celebrate that night at KCBC. And uh, Strap Hanger was super brand spanking new that day and or that week, whatever. Um, but that, you know, it's an amazing beer anyways, but that's always going to have such a special place in my heart. Get excited every time it comes back up. And your liver. <laughs> <laughs> but how, how did you make that beer, Pete? I mean, it's like a, a throwback yeah, it's, rice lager. Uh, it's, you know, Budweiser's a rice lager. Um, I've heard 30% rice. I've also heard syrup. But this one's flaked rice and best Pilsner malt. Uh, we've done uh, 3470 or German lager 3. Lager strains are all pretty similar, but this is a pretty basic one. Low, low sulfur, low diacetyl. Um, and Hellertau hops, classic German hops, Magnum for bittering. Just a, it's a simple beer, but the the uh, like Alex was saying, the 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 adjunct in this case really shines through because it's twenty percent of a very simple malt bill. There's not a lot to hide behind, and it's <laughs> we've been making it ever since. That we're actually going to make a, a special batch soon. Uh, we've got a brewer, Trevor, who had this idea of making sort of a brute lager, like a brute IPA. But he wants to amylase our strap hanger and dry it out completely so it's more like a light lager. And we're going to do a strap hanger version of that. And we, we, we brought in American lager yeast for that particular brew and the one that we just did as well. But Alex, so. can, you, can you picture how that would taste? 
Uh, not entirely, actually. I mean, it just sounds... We've been... I made a brute today, actually, on our system, and I know that that, that stuff really strips everything. Out. Well, it just dries it to zero, usually, so yep. it'll, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, and, and, and are you excited to make that beer? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. We're up for the challenge. So what's the, what's, I was like, what's the process like? Because you do a lot of collaborations, Pete and, and, and Jeff, and... Um, you know, you, you're you're trusting this this member of your team to, to try something new. Do you do any test batches before you do a, a full batch? We don't test batch anything, but we don't have the time. It takes longer to brew a pilot beer than it does to make you know a full batch production batch. But and and we're just trying to keep those tanks full. Yeah, pretty pretty similar idea with us. And we're we're making three barrels at a time. But even if we were making fifty or a hundred, quite honestly, at this point, everybody in this room is really comfortable with what you're doing in the process and, and you have a pretty good grasp of what the ingredients are going to do. You can kind of picture when you write a recipe, what, what you're going for and what you're going to turn out with. And I think we're all pretty comfortable just jumping right in and, and seeing what it turns out. We do like to uh, experiment a bit with collaborations that we kind of take that opportunity to throw a wild card in the mix. Let's taste some of those. Let's taste the KCBC beers too. Um, you know, one of the questions I had was about <laughs> does, um, here it is. I got to read this one. Um, reading from the list. Uh, are lagers becoming popular again? <laughs> um, that's a general question, and a lot of a lot of larger craft breweries have have been making them for a while. You know, there's Firestone and um, you know Lagunitas and Night Shift, and the founders make make lagers. But uh, you know, that's a good general question. Are they really becoming popular? Absolutely. Yeah. At least I'd say amongst the the brewers and uh, maybe maybe the more seasoned craft beer drinker, like people that are kind of new to craft beer, maybe aren't ready for something that subtle. They want a little more hops, a little more character and stuff. But when you've been drinking IPA for years and years and years, you kind of kind of burn out on it a little bit and start looking for to to spread you know widen your palate and maybe try some sour beers, maybe try classic styles, and then you work your way into lagers eventually. What do you guys like for, for lagers? I mean, I'm, I'm going to say um, Notch Brewing up in Salem, Mass. I love that he's, he focuses on these Czech-style Czech lagers, a lot of amber and, and other like darker-colored lagers. Um, everybody, everyone say a, a lager that they like or a brewery that's making lager that they like a lot. Well, I, I think we're really lucky to have Jack's Abbey doing what they're doing and pushing out the volume that they are to where... You, at this point, you can walk into what you'd normally call a dive bar and, and get the house lager so many places. It's it's a really nice treat to have them producing it at a rate that's almost like the macros as far as, you know, where we end up being, right? Yeah, their brewery is massive, and they're really cranking out a huge volume of beer and really, really good beer. Um, and they're doing a lot of hoppy lagers as well, so they're kind of... Uh, you know, keeping the kids happy, but they do a lot of classic styles as well. And what size bastard did you make when you were there? Um, I think it was a hundred barrel, hundred wow. barrel batch. Yeah. Same and thing. You guys, <coughs> you just put, put the recipes together and yeah. And and we did a thirty-seven barrel batch at our brewery. We got kind of awkward size tanks, but <laughs> that's a full batch for us. We got two new fermenters that we can put forty-five barrels in, but everything else is thirty-seven. Wow. What about you, Sven? Uh, we are fortunate that we are very close to Suarez Family Brewery, so that's that's a treat. Go over there on the weekends and and have their pilsners, lagers. And you, you told me that twenty five years ago, what was the first 
lager you had in America? Um, Saturday night, exploring New York and, and, and not knowing much about American beers other than the obvious. And uh, I was presented for Rolling Rock. <laughs> and uh, You know, the, the reason I brought right. that up is I don't know, but I used to drink Rolling Rock about 25 years ago. We don't usually talk about those old school beers, but I haven't heard about Rolling Rock in probably 20 years. I don't know if it resonates with anybody. I brought it up because I just thought about it. I was like, damn, that, that Old Latrobe, Pennsylvania. That was what I was sending for. Last Line Tanks. That beer has a residual DMS in it. It's part of the character of the beer, and it's kind of a good example if you're trying to train someone on off flavors. In some cases, it's not considered an off flavor. It's part of the character of the beer, but yeah. plus, it's plus, interesting yeah. that it has, it has DMS. Plus the Mercaptain Mer from the green bottles, right? Yeah, yeah, and it skunked. <laughs> so it's a two-hitter. That's why we haven't heard about it in a long time. <laughs> it's, it's got character back in the day when there was no character in most beers, so it's got something. And I remember floating down rivers uh, just outside of Cincinnati with an inner tube next to me full of rolling rocks. So yeah, it's yeah. time and a place for it. it. Yep. It's cool. What about you, Alex? Um, I, I have the same answer as Sven. I, I, I think Suarez is doing such great, like, finessed lagers, and they're, do, they're doing a broad variety of styles, so you'll get a Vienna... Next thing you know, there's a Schwartz beer around, and I think he's just kind of hitting it out of the park with, with those kind of beers lately, and they're super drinkable. I I think some of the aspect of brewing all the time and thinking about beer all the time, it's nice with lager that it's a beer you can think about or you don't have to at all, and and I feel like his are kind of like that. They're, they're fantastic beers, but you can also just drink one and not really worry about it, so. I, I think we're so lucky in New York. We have, we have Suarez, which we kind of occasionally see down here some semi regularly and then uh we have we have things like metric from industrial arts and then you come in even closer you know be down into the five boroughs and and you know we have people like threes making vleet at a level that you know again you can just see that everywhere Phenomenal. and it's such a such an excellent well-made beer uh you and then you've got some smaller guys that fly a little bit under the radar which totally appeals to me guys Guys like Folkspear, excellent, uh, make, making some great beers. So Dunhill, crisp, crisp pal, oh, still man. banging them out. Absolutely. Other halves made some really good lagers. Other half yeah. has? Oh yeah. And what 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 is Gunhill made? What what lagers are they making? Well, their 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 mainstay is the Spirit of seventy six. Is, is that? Yeah, right? that's I think Spirit that's his New York uh, lager as well. It's got a percentage. We got to get them on. I haven't I haven't had uh, Gunhill on in a long time. I reached out to Chris and I. He's just too busy to get all the way from the Bronx on a double brew day down here in time, but yeah. We're going up to make a, a Czech lager with Chris sometime soon. I forgot the date, but and then we'll bring him back down and we'll try to sneak him in. For sure, man. And it, t tell us, let's all talk about this beer because um, it, it was it got a lot of fanfare. I saw it on your email this list this week. Uh, I was excited to try it. Yeah. So this is the Jack's Act. This is the one that was made in. This is ours, uh, made here in New York. Made in New York with Massachusetts Malton hops, four point eight percent. It's Pilsner, Munich, and uh, uh, Vienna. I think we got the Munich from Valley Malt and the Vienna maybe, and the base malt were from Stone Path, and then we got some. I think they're called Four Star Farms uh, Crystal hops, which is their kind of their, as they said, noblest hop. And it, and it worked out quite well. It's got a nice kind of slight lemony citrus character. It's not over the top. It, we wouldn't want it to be over the top hoppy because it's kind of kind of a malt forward uh, lager beer, and I think it's great. We, we've been crushing it straight out of the bright tank. 
as soon as we got it carved before we got it carved up. We are. T- you like it, Sven? Oh, I love it. It's it's amazing. It's perfect. I um. I, I enjoy the complexity Speechless. from no no but the, the complexion complexity from all the different models that you yeah sim- again simple yeah. but there is a lot going on there's there's some layering oh, and they're yeah. they're working together and they're like passing the baton from Pilsner to the Vienna in the middle and then the Munich and back around in a circle it's like smoothed out balanced it's lagered for six weeks we packaged it yesterday Jack came down last week tried it he was really happy with it I haven't had our version up there yet but they say it's spot on they're really digging it they've been sending you know text and photos back and forth and can't wait to try it. We're going to do some events together when we launch them. That hop's really nice, too. Uh, like like you said, the lemon citrusy thing, but also, you know, it's it sort of harkens enough back to the noble, noble-ass character. It's, yeah. it's really nice. Well, I, I just love, it wasn't too many years ago that I remember a Folks Beer opened and he was like, he made a really good pills and he said it, it, it almost put him out of business because it took up all his tanks. It takes a little more time. It's really nice to see in this room, you know, the attention to, to loggers and just how far the industry's come in New York City. On that note, we're going to take a short break. We'll be right back in a minute on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. This episode is presented by Forever Cheese, a passion for great taste. Forever Cheese sources the highest quality and most unique cheeses and other products from Italy, Spain, Portugal, and Croatia, and imports them to the United States, many under the Mitika brand. If it's Mitika, it's got to be incredible. Learn more at forevercheese.com. Welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey, guys, it's our 10th anniversary, heritageradionetwork.org. You can become a member. A lot of good things happening this year. But right now, it's another lager show with some of my favorite brewers in New York. Pete Langle from KCBC, Sven from Svendale, Alex and Jeff from Keg and Lantern. So um, it's fun to have another lager show. We've had This is our third lager show this year. Um, Alex, you had a question for Pete? Yeah, I was just curious. I mean, I know... I've heard that Jack gets pretty into these like regional loggers and discovering a lot. And uh, I was curious whether there were commercial uh, full moon beers out there. Yeah, I don't think there are currently. I think I think maybe it was it was Jack or maybe Joe Connolly. He's the head brewer at uh, the Springdale side of the house. But I think one of those guys found just like some obscure historical reference or something. Maybe a couple, and they and they and they. I don't remember the email exactly, but I think they sort of determined it was a Meritson. So was it like a biodynamic agriculture thing? You have to make it with the full moon? Yeah, I mean, maybe it's for the yeast, the gravitational pull of the moon. Wow. And, uh, you know, there's, brewer that, there's a brewer in Italy who plays uh, classical music to his fermentation tank, so maybe there's something there. Scandinavians screaming as they pitch Screaming at the Kvike. <laughs> We're a Kvike brewery now, too, but we haven't screamed at anything yet. Keep going, Pete. This is good. <laughs> You're not doing it right, dude. Yeah, classical screaming. From what I, from what I last time it, we had you, we, we, yeah, we, we were talking about that yeast last time. We've been yeah. using it for a while now. We're really excited about it. We're what, just. What, what are some beers that you've made with it? 
Lots of beers. Um, we switched over our house IPA to Kvank, um, the superhero sidekicks. It was dry English before. Um, pretty much every ale and, and beer we're putting out now that's hoppy or not a lager or not a Kolsch or anything is, is Kvank at this point. Um, so we haven't talked about this. I'm, just, I'm, I'm curious. Is this mostly a speed thing or are you finding character that you really like? It's for me, I, I was, I was more interested in the, in the production capacity. Like we could maybe get the beers out a little faster and still have a clean fermentation. The, the temperature range goes really high and we're kind of restraining it at 85 Fahrenheit for a couple of days at least and then let it go. It's almost done in, in two days. So we're still kind of figuring out this yeast. Like as far as we're trying to harvest this and then get an early dry hop in and it's got a really tight window. So if you don't get it, if you don't let it sit long enough, it's not going to flocculate out. If you wait too long, the fermentation's done. You <laughs> drop your dry hop in, you're going to get diacetyl from the hop creep. So it's got a really tight window for that. Also been messing around with dialing in the oxygen. I'm trying to figure out how much this yeast needs. And definitely went too low on one turn. And it took like, it was like normal fermentation. It was four or five days to finish out where normally two to three days, it's completely done. You'll extend the fermentation when you throw on the heavy dry hop because you're drop. I think we've discussed uh, hop creep in this show before, but there are enzymes in hops that will start breaking down dextrins and making fermentable sugars in your in your beer, in your finished beer, not your wort. And you get a secondary fermentation from that. And you get a secondary uh, evolution of diacetyl, which is a problem. And if the yeast drops out, it's not going to clean up that diacetyl. So we've had to croisen a couple of beers with this to clean it up. So it's, we're learning a lot. Um, we're going to get there. I think I think we're, we're looking pretty good right now. But trying to harvest this yeast and get an early dry hop in and doing a, a massive dry hop these are all these parameters that we're dealing with right now. And oxygen is one of the big ones we found because I, I dialed it way back one time. I've been listening to too many podcasts. Um, Modern Times have been doing a lot of research on oxygen. And I'm, you know, we do a lot of hops early on. I worry about oxidizing those hops. If you're putting excess oxygen, your yeast will consume it eventually, but it's in there. And you got hop oils in your wort when you're sending it into the tank. You're going to oxidize them. So you want to minimize the oxygen, but Every yeast has a different oxygen requirement, and this one's thirsty for oxygen, I found. So we're, 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 we're doing a lot of work, and we're figuring out a lot of stuff, but I, I think we're really happy with the yeast. But it, so far, it hasn't really you know, shortened our tank residency time because we're getting some diacetyl, and we have to fix that. So we'll get there eventually. Let's go back to This is a good yeast class. Alex, you were nodding to, to Jeff. Um, you want to say anything about the yeast class? Oh, what, I... I don't know. I don't know much. I haven't used this yeast myself, but I just I, we we've talked a lot to us the um, one of the people from uh, Omega who markets a lot of the uh, these Lance. strains. Yeah, came and and spoke to the homebrew club that I'm still a member of, the Bruminaries, and uh, I was all excited because I was I to me I'm a I'm kind of a mixed fermentation. I'm very interested in that kind of yeast, uh, and so I was excited by the characters, and then the pitch was kind of that they're, they're very fast and that that was it's it was simultaneously appealing and also uh, disappointing to me because i thought these norwegian yeasts were going to come with all this crazy farmhouse character but in actuality they're not phenolic um they don't produce a ton of esters the appeal is that you only have to chill to a, a fairly high temperature pitching temperature and then they just rip and you're you're done with a beer i mean people in my club now are like trying to turn around you know 
a seven day beer, which you can do, but I mean, in a different way now. I mean, they're making beers that they want to serve in like four days. Yeah, we're not trying to rush our beer. Let me just be clear. Um, But our IPAs, I track all of our fermentations, and you know they were taking on average seventeen days tank time. And I was like, if we could shave off one day, that'd make a difference. Two days. Uh, but we wait. The beer is the boss, as we say. Um, picked that up from Brooklyn Brewery. And when the beer is done, the beer is done, and not before. So we're not trying to rush it. But if we can make a better beer and get it done a little bit faster, we'll sign on for that. Um, and it's a really interesting yeast. And it does kind of produce a, an orangey ester. And then if you push it, it's supposed to. This is the Voss, Sigmund's Voskvike. Um, if you push it, it's supposed to get this kind of earthy character. We don't really want that. So we're we're keeping it at 85 for now. And we might try to, you know, push it up a bit once we figure out all the other parameters for the yeast. But for now, 85. After two days, after one day now, we'll let it free rise up to 90. But at that point, you've already gone through all the amino acid production and the fusels and all that that produce the esters. So it should be safe. But where it's so fast with this yeast so every, all the timelines moved up on everything except for still got to figure out when you get those hops in and how you deal with the hop creep and the diacetyl you know i um, I, I love that we're going deep on yeast because it's 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 probably the thing part of beer we've talked the least about over the years um but that let's go back to it the, the vec, vec yeast from scandinavia yeah we talked about that last fall um how did people figure out that this was such a a useful yeast that and that's been spreading. Uh, well, you know, they, apparently they've been using it in Scandinavia forever. Like it's, these are um, heritage yeast, I guess. They, they, it's, I think they would dry it out and cut it into like coins and and store it on a string and just pass it along like change to people. It's an incredibly hardy yeast. It's been selected to be hardy uh, just by the way they stored it and passed it on. Oh, thank you. And. Uh, I think some <laughs> brewers and maybe some yeast people heard, oh, God, there's this yeast that's clean at 85. If you produce a beer with most of our ale strains other than like maybe Saison strains at that temperature, you're going to have a terrible beer. Uh, when the yeast are fermenting that hot and that fast, they're going to produce a lot of alcohols other than ethanol, and these are called fusels, and they're terrible. They're really harsh, they're really hot and boozy, and and it, that's the main issue. They're also going to produce a lot of esters, which are these fruity characters, which some of them are not fruity and they're terrible. And you might even get into some phenolics, which are these kind of spicy aromatics if you push the yeast really far. So that normally they're not good, and that's why we restrain, restrain fermentations to about 68 for most strains, because you need to keep a clean fermentation, but it does take longer. And this strain, whoa, you can ferment it at 85, 90, 100, and it's clean, and you can get the fermentation done a lot faster. It's perfect for home brewers because most starting out, at least, don't have temperature control, and that's a huge barrier to making good beer, especially in the summertime in an apartment in New York City or somewhere. Um, it's a, it was always a challenge. And so a lot of brewers would just make saisons in the summertime, which are more a little more temperature... Um, uh, Forgiving. Forgiving, yeah. <laughs> they will produce some character, but it, it's not bad character. Um, well, in theory. And, yeah, <laughs> and, 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 you know, but now they could use Kvike. There's, 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 I think we've all had so many bad saisons at homebrew meetings just because that was the given. Yeah, it's, summertime it's so saison true. season. But I've had some bad pine needle resin <laughs> homebrews. But, uh, Jeff, tell us about this beer. So this is a Keg and Lantern 
Um, yeah. I want to taste through all the different lagers and say a few things about some of the styles too. I mean, you can look all this stuff up. I mean, you guys went through all the BJCP programs with me yeah. at Jimmy's Number Forty Three, so okay. it's easy to learn about styles. But to actually taste them and be making them, it, it, there's some challenges to it. Uh, yeah, certainly, certainly. I, I, I think because so early on, uh, I found first off the Bruisers, which is how I initially met Pete. Uh, the Brooklyn Bruisers. Uh, as soon as I started brewing, I found that. And then I found the New York City Homebrewers Guild. And the very first meeting I went to at the Homebrewers Guild, I kind of got cornered uh, by two very well-meaning individuals who basically wouldn't let me out of the corner until I swore to them that I would get in touch with, uh, with Vlad the next day and sign up for the BJCP class in, in your basement, in your back room. And, uh, and and go through that. And I think within that first, you know, three or four months of, of when I started homebrewing, to start going through all those classic styles, talking about them from people who actually know what they're what they're talking about, and then tasting all these classic beers that that fit in or just or just outside of those was was one of the most amazing things that I could have been pushed to do early on. And I think it just, you know, it, it, it took my learning curve on, on a completely different path. Uh, so I'm, I'm very thankful for that. But that's sort of how you, you know, I feel very fortunate to have gone through that. And then I started brewing at home, sort of working through those styles myself. Like, well, okay, I tasted these things. I'm sort of interested in what I tasted with these classic beers. How do you make that at home? And, and you know, it just sort of snowballed into to really enjoying these beers and looking around and, and seeing what craft beer is, which is beautiful, but then seeing this gap that not everybody's making these things. And I think there's a way to take this, this super new, fresh approach that you're bringing in with all this fresh blood and, and being so young in this, uh, but then approaching these really classic older styles with, with a different perspective and trying to be true to them, but sort of taking a little bit of, of you know, almost that punk rock attitude to it and just, just going at it a different way. Yeah. And what, what's the spear? Uh, so this is a, we, we call this Stolen Valor. This is a Bohemian Pilsner. So basically like a classic Czech pills, uh, more or less. So it's all, uh, you know, floor malted Bohemian Pilsner malt from, well, from Weiermann, uh, which is a German maltster, but I don't think the, I think the grain is actually from Slovenia. You know? Is that right? Uh, but all the, all the He's hops, asking Alex. Do you all, know Alex? No. I'm looking for verification, I think. Uh, but then uh, all the hops are from, or Saz hops from, from Czechoslovakia. So super, super traditional in the recipe. But I think, you know, where, where we come in, uh, when I started brewing at Keg and Lantern, we were making lagers every so often, PJ was. Uh, but it wasn't a mainstay. And I think that was one of the things that, that I really wanted, one of the only things I really wanted to change. So we started making lagers right off the bat and really trying to turn them around and keep many of them up at a time. And I, you know, coming from Greenpoint, like like we talked about working with Chris and, and finding a love for lagers there, we'd always done them in a traditional style where we actually properly lagered them. And I just had this yearning to just, I don't know, uh, you know, now, now I'm working with Alex uh, apparently for a year. Sorry, dude. Uh, but uh, Congratulations. We, <laughs> congrats. Uh you know, we, Alex and I really like uh, yeast character and yeast forward beers. And o- over a little bit of time, and, and with Brett Taylor, who we've been on the show with before, you've had on a number of times, who's opening Wild East pretty soon. Um, 
we started thinking this through in a different way and instead of trying to we could we could still mimic these traditional styles but we could do it in a way where you get some fresh yeast character and you start I started thinking about them as as farmhouse beers uh, which is sort of a 180 on on what these things have traditionally been made as but then not really so much really uh, now just, you go to Germany like <laughs> There's a thousand tiny little breweries everywhere. They're all farmhouse breweries. They might be making lager beer, but it's I'd say I'd call it farmhouse as yeah. well. So so we started taking that ethos that we were applying to all our saisons and mixed firm and sour beers and just sort of applying it to the lagers and going, you know, I I'd really like a lager with a really fresh yeast character and and you know, where all the malts and the hops are super fresh, almost turning them around at ale speed. So at Keg and Lantern, we're we're turning a lot of loggers around in like two weeks, maybe three weeks, and uh, yeah, and then they disappear in like two weeks. We don't even get to fully logger them. So yeah, this is just sort of a, a twist on what tradition may have may have led you to. Farmhouse loggers, Pete. Farmhouse loggers. Rustic. You've been lucky. You get to travel a lot, Pete. I mean, you you got to go to Scandinavia. You you found the Quebec yeasts. You were in Germany. Um, Went to Newburgh today, Newburgh, New York. Up in Hudson Valley. Making a beer with those guys. What, what beer are you it. making with those guys? Well, it's funny. We, I was there with Chris Basso, and uh, he, he was a Brooklyn Brewery alum, so I knew him back then. Um, excellent brewer. Great guys. Love that place. They're killing it. Um, uh, we love lagers. <laughs> today we were just drinking their, their corn lager, um, but we're making a fruited IPA. So. <laughs> Uh, we like IPAs too. Um, so up there, fruited IPA. But when they come down to ours for, uh, for the return brew, I think we'll probably do a adjunct lager. They've got a, a lovely corn lager. We have a rice lager. Maybe we'll do a 50-50 corn and rice lager. Uh, did one of those in the UK, and it turned out amazing with uh, Northern Monk. Uh, and we did a we did a, uh, a corn and rice double IPA with Chris Prout <laughs> when he was at Gunhill. Well, he's still at Gunhill, but. Did a collab with them, double adjunct. Um, now, that was the GBA beer, sorry. That was with Eric Olson when he took the helm at Greenpoint Beer and Ale. But, yeah, we'll do a lager when he comes down. Yeah. Does anyone want to talk about using adjuncts? I mean, Alex, you were talking about working with different different malts um, and grains. I mean, I, 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 I want to go in the direction of talking about different grains. Sure, I mean... I think that's um, a big part of lagers. One of the things I've... One of the more... Uh, or. I found it to be really interesting and, and it and it works in some ways and then it and then sometimes it doesn't. But like I started brewing with wild rice a lot, um, which I don't even know that it's strictly actually a rice. It maybe actually is a seed. Um, but you cereal mash it and that you know, some of these things have their constraints. They aren't entirely uh affordable to use on a commercial scale. These are things I'm doing as a home brewer, buying, you know, weird uh grains at three dollars a pound is not and, and, and unless you have a, a bulk supply of that for cheaper it's kind of not really tenable as a production brewery but it's a lot of fun to just kind of do i just made a lager with uh edzuki beans inspired by some sort of japanese tea where they use seaweed and uh red beans um and i effectively made the tea with the mash water uh prior to Doing in, I have it. That's still fermenting, so I don't know if that was an utter disaster. But um, I kind of am looking for. To me, it's like um, lager right now is just very much getting treated. I think the most 
interesting and far-flung thing people are doing with it is putting it into barrels and kind of treating it like a barrel-aged beer, but you're not seeing quite the depth that ale got as far as treating them differently. A lot of times it's within the construct of a style. Who's putting lagers in barrels? Oh, everybody now. Um, <laughs> you guys are Keg and Lantern. Keg and Lantern, we, we, I guess we do have a you stolen, didn't bring those we have stolen Valor in a barrel. Oh. I forgot about that. Uh, oh, and the fooder pills, yeah, we do also do that, but that's Daydreamer, which is a slightly different hop. I know, I know um, threes that have fooder pills. Yeah. And, and Sven, yeah. what, what, what malts are you using? So this Born to Loose lager, what malts are in that? We are primarily use the 1886 um, malt from uh, 1886 uh, up up in, uh, I think they're in Albany. Yeah, I think they're just north of Albany. Yep. Yeah, and uh, amazing, um, they actually give a they give an incredible yield. I mean, for some reason, they... Yeah, we got really good efficiency on our uh, Jack Tabby brews, too. They were like, what the... Yeah. A lot, lot better... Yeah, I don't know what it, the modification is on that or what the it's specs are. Incredible. They asked for the spec sheet, too, but they were like, wow, we got a really good efficiency on this. We ended up uh, having to correct it. Yeah, I think ours process. was corrected as well. Yeah. No, um, Nolan and Robbie are doing... Uh, and, and the whole other rest of the crew, they're doing a great job up there, yeah? Oh, yeah, yeah, good guys. Yeah, we uh, we also uh, I mean we are inspired to do something with with uh, adjuncts, and I think we'll do corn on our on one of our next lagers. I think Ted Holly might be malting corn now. New at Craft Malt, we use a lot of yep. his malt too. Really yep. good stuff. So that that's primarily what we've used in house. Uh, we we make a beer regularly called Present Tense, which is all New York ingredients, uh, Pilsner. Uh, it's all Ted's Excelsior Pilsner and uh, Cascade hops from from Chris Holden, uh, who's Crooked Crooked Creek, uh, who's now sort of the face of uh, of the New York, also New, at New York New York hops, Hop yeah. Guild. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you've you've had him on the show with with Jason. Yeah, no, this is exciting. I, I love I just love seeing how this industry is kind of coming coming together. And you guys were making lagers, you know. Oh, it used to take too much time. Now you're making them. And you're talking about the, the malts and hops that you're using from, from New York State. I have to take a short, another short break. We'll be back in another minute here on Beer Sessions Radio. Oh, my God. What was that beer we just had? Nellis Hellis. <laughs> N- Nellis Hellis. <laughs> Nellis Hellis. <laughs> Jim, Jimmy's renamed our beer Nelson Hellis to Nell- Nellis Hellis. I love it. Nellis Hellis We're on Beer it. Sessions Radio. All right. That's great. <laughs> Enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. My name is Coral Lee, and I'm the host of Meant to Be Eaten here on HRN. Every week, I look at cross-cultural exchange in food and contemporary media. What determines authenticity? What, if anything, gets lost in translation when cooking foods from another's culture? You can find Meant to Be Eaten wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. All right, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. So Jeff Lyons from Keg and Lenton, this is a nice beer. It's a, a, a Nellis Hellas <laughs> so, <laughs> lager show. It is now. So yeah. So so as much as we uh, appreciate appreciate the actual true to style classic styles and and love playing with those, we also love to put a twist on some of those. So we'd been brewing a Hellas for quite a while. At Greenpoint, we brewed a, a smoked Hellas, which we really really liked, but. Once I got to Keg and Lantern, I was like, yeah, let's, let's leave that alone for a little while. Let's not, not go into that territory. Um, 
but we started putting spins on the Hellas and we threw Nelson into it maybe a year, year and a half ago and it worked out really well and I think this is the second time we've done it, maybe third and it just, just works. Uh, Nelson Sobin hops from, from New Zealand and uh, it just works really well. Uh, punches up the fruit so you know when I was talking about turning out a lager with, with a little bit of yeast character, like fresh yeast character, uh, you start adding some slightly fruity pretty hops to it and you know if you're subtle enough it can turn out something really really nice without really pushing too far the nose just jumps right at, at me yeah it's it's a beautiful expression of nelson savin it's not over that it's not like hitting you over that this is nelson savin we got the hop it's like this is it let me I'm turn it like you, level three you, you, you guys know. as brewers that i respect you, you know we, we did the the show on the rothouse pills a couple weeks ago and that's got that kind of like bready, soft, you know, German lager feel. I mean, what do you do to get that? If, if you were going to make a Rothaus Pils, could you make it here in the States? I think water chemistry is going to play a big role in that, and I think uh, troop carryover, I think Freeman or nitrogen might be a part of what's going on with these German lagers because they have a distinctive sulfur content, and German brewers are really into clarifying their wort before fermentation. I think we're probably, most Americans are carrying over way too much troop and way too much free amino nitrogen. And I think our water chemistry is probably off for this particular style. You want, you want some sulfur in there. So get some, get some sulfates in your, in your water and you'll get it there as well. Um, I think Rothouse is probably doing classic German fermentation, cold, cold, cold. We're doing much warmer over here, trying to squeeze them out a little faster uh, they got fresher ingredients. <laughs> they got their local water supply, and um, oxygen levels. I uh, would be interested to see what they're doing there, and um, probably decoction. <laughs> they're probably doing de- triple decoction on their on their malt. So that's not something most of us are doing over here. Jack's Abbey is doing decoction, but I, I think when you start talking about all of the people who were really excited to see start making lagers. And when you start seeing this sort of almost mini explosion of, of lager brewers uh, amongst craft breweries in the United States, I'm excited uh, because I really like that fresh thing like we've been talking about. But I think one of the things that you miss when you have a somebody who set themselves up as just a craft brewery, maybe an ale-centric brewery, and they start making lagers is they're not doing those decoctions. And I think that's fine, but I think that turns out something very different than a traditional German or European lager-focused brewery who's set up to do single, double, triple decoctions. I think I think you just end up with very different beers. Alex, were you going to say something? Because every, every time uh, I've heard everyone <laughs> talk about lagers, it's, it's like, oh, we're doing a decoction method. We're doing de- oh, decoction method. I just think... Because one of the things I've read on... We're not. Only the German guys. (laughs) Well, one thing I had read, and I don't actually know all that much about it, but on the home brewing scene, there was... It seemed like there was this budding interest in, like, low DO brewing, where I guess there's just, like, low amounts of dissolved oxygen throughout the brewing process. We're looking into that. Yeah, yeah. And I think, as far as I understand, people people suspect, because the Germans are very, like, tight-lipped, it seems, about about what's going on with some of the, the character that's getting you know, into their beers. And as much as people, we have great processes, but they, you know, it's pretty undeniable. The character is different between American pills and a, and a really nice German pills. Um, 
but yeah, I'd, I'd seen a lot of speculation on the homebrew side about Lodio and uh, that being a prevailing thing that was really contributing to the character of these beers. And I, I think, you know, controlling the pH throughout the process, through many steps of the process, is another, you know, thing they don't really talk about that, you know, how you're getting these multi flavors to really shine, but also that you're really getting the hop bitterness to be soft and, and those sorts of things. So just to change this, change it up to go to historical New York lagers, you know, we're talking about this characters of certain German, you know, water and other things. New York, you know, the, the classic lager was Rheingold, made in New York forever. And apparently Brooklyn Peels. Brewery, yeah, when they, when they made um, the Brooklyn lager, was supposed to replicate like a Rheingold. It's kind of like an amber lager. Does anyone want to talk about that style or... or, or is, is Would you say, if I said a historical New York lager, would that be what you would think of? I always assume they were just based on German pills. Um, probably not anything other than a Pilsner malt. I know they were, all they were growing upstate was basically cluster hops. I, I, fig- I always thought it would have been like a Hallertau or a Tetning or a Saz or something, but it was cluster. Um, that was the, probably what they were using in all their... In all their Loggers, I don't know how much. I heard that they, some of them were actually pretty hoppy. Um, the water's probably not changed that much, but water does change um, over time. And uh, the process has changed uh, a lot. So I don't, I don't know what it would taste like. All these re- historical beers that you try to recreate, there's way too many parameters that you cannot hit. You cannot hit the... Actually, the, uh, the raw ingredients, <laughs> the, uh, the the climate of the time, the actually the varietals that you're growing, the techniques of growing, the processing, the hops, the malt, <laughs> the water's changed, everything's changed. But um, I, I always assumed they were more of a, based on a German classic lager, German pills. That, that's, that, that Brooklyn lager is a very malty beer. That's kind of pushing a Mertzen for me, but... Yeah, with the amber merits of Jeff. Also, also really hoppy though. That that particular beer is really hoppy when you get a nice clean. They're hoppy. Yeah, nice I don't think that keg. was meant to be a yeah. Rheingold hopping bill, but I, I think just kind of building on what you were talking about. Um, Again, I've never. I've only had like the revised <coughs> Rheingold in there. I never. I never had a classic Rheingold fifty years ago. So yeah, I, I can't speak to any of that or yeah. the history that 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 Pete possesses. Um, but I, I think when I'm you start... i years old, so... <laughs> <laughs> old soul, brother. And you start drinking when you were two. Uh, negative two. <laughs> negative two. And Sven, what about you? So, you're from Denmark. You know, what what what, what lagers were you drinking? Because obviously European lagers were cooler, right? I mean... Uh, I was drinking Tubor and Carlsberg. And um, skunk was a part of it. And cold. I, I, yeah, I, but the skunkiness. I mean, I, I... I spent six months in Denmark, and I bought plastic cases full yeah. of each of those, yeah. and skunk was the thing that I take away from both that, of those. That was certainly an ingredient. I'm going to tell you guys my lager moment, which is so... So you go way back. So things I loved, I love things like Doppelbox, but I love, you know, my, one of my revelations in the 2000s was the Mars Ungespunden, this unfiltered... Keller beer. Did you ever have that, Pete? No, I don't think so. That's one of those, like, from Mars, it's in Bamberg. Yeah. Um, has anyone had that beer? Yeah, Ed used to bring those in. Uh, when I worked at Greenpoint, we'd have a really nice Oktoberfest celebration every year, okay. and he'd bring some of the, the Mars and uh, Maybe some, I have. some of the other producers. I, th- I think you have. 
Yeah, some of the gravity casks. Uh, They're really interesting. The Shelton Brothers yeah. bring a lot of that stuff over too. It, yeah, probably you, Ed's you, bringing it with them. Yep. Yep. All we're, we're speaking the same language. Yeah. We're all in the but same. There's a, yeah. You know, there's a lot of history with uh, with loggers. I'm really excited and happy that you guys were doing this show. Last one, the Dortmunder, and tell us about the style since since yeah. uh, you made it. Man, I can't, I can't speak too much to the history of it, but uh, it's just something that I've come across that I really liked the examples I had and wanted to give a give a go at it. And once I did, I, I really enjoyed what we had and how different it was, how, how malt-centric it was without any crystal malt. You just had this really... It's got a little amber color. Like, full-body malt character, uh, but then the refreshingness of a lager. It just, yeah, kind of kind of hit the right strings in my heart and just made me want to keep making it. There's, I have a little anecdote about the Dortmunder. I've met a couple of older gentlemen, both uh, were ex-military at this Thanksgiving thing I used to go to every year, and I'd bring beer down from my brewery, and then they're, they're like, oh, I don't drink beer. But one of them, independently, one was like, but if you had this one beer, I would drink it. This one guy, like... He was in the Air Force. No, this guy was in the Navy, and he met some German sailors. They brought him back. You know, they were drinking. They went back to their, his ship, and they gave him this beer. And he's like, it's called Dortmunder. <laughs> and he's like, if you had that beer, I would drink it. And then another guy, this the Air Force guy, was like, I don't drink beer, but there was this one beer. Again, Dortmunder. So if I could have that Dortmunder from the, the I don't know what year that was, probably the 40s. It I've, sounds like I've a phenomenal beer. I've heard stories that guys... American guys ended up in Germany in the military. Dortmunder. Fell in love with good beers. Sven? I um I any other beer you fell in love with that was good? Bunch. But I mean when I grew up in Denmark there was there was there was no good beer. So it it wasn't until I got you. What what do you like right now? Besides Suarez, I want to get a good lager. Anywhere in the world. What what would I drink? I couldn't answer that question. I I, ha- I think we have them right here. So let's taste yeah. your, your Martin, too. You got one more beer. What is Go on it? Here, yeah. It's a Martin. And, We're uh, trying to get all the beers in today. Our buddy Ethan uh, is uh, logging them in on Untapped. And um, Aaliyah's wow. keeping tabs. We're going to have a nice photo of all these great beers. So I'm really fortunate. I feel really lucky to have you guys here. You have no idea how happy I am. It, I decided once again that I should just read the, the emails that come every Sunday. <clears throat> One thing so cool about the New York City craft beer community is that these breweries now on Sundays <laughs> have to send out their lists of, uh, of beers for sale that week because there's so much d- demand for them. Is, isn't that true, Jeff? I mean, you used to send them on Mondays and people were like, where's my list? You send them on Sundays now, guys start ordering on Sundays. And you're probably sold out by Monday. For the wholesale guys, yeah, we work on such a small scale that that's absolutely absolutely true. Yep, that's great. Goes goes this super smells, quick. This smells amazing, by the way. So the the Dortmunder and now about the hot bill. Man, we're we're oh, yeah, so lucky. Um, we're, we're, is, we're so lucky to live in New York and have Pete, so many have the so many great brewers Mar- with us. Mar- that's a Mar- yep. yep, I'm drinking um, Sven's Mar- Sven's Loggers Mar- and otherwise. So this is so, Ch- yeah. Chinook and Citra. It's actually Chitra in the uh, very interesting, yeah, and uh, Chinook for the uh, bitterning. Okay, excellent, guys. We, this is great. Let me push it to an hour. Thank yep. you, Matt. Um, big thanks to everybody. Let's go around the room one more time. Everyone say their name and where they're from. Pete Langell, KCBC. Sven from Svenhal. Alex from Kick and Lantern. What's your last name, Alex? Biederman. Famous homebrewer. Excellent homebrewer. Ex uh, homebrewer. <laughs> continuous homebrewer. 
Jeff Lyons, uh, also continuous homebrewer. It, yeah, and and uh, Jeff Lyons at Keg and Lantern. And thanks, big thanks Jimmy. for joining us. Thanks to our producer, Justin Kennedy, engineer, Matt Patterson, intern, Aaliyah Papes. I'm Jimmy Carboni, the host. Thanks for joining us here on the Heritage Radio Network. We'll catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Woo woo woo. Thank you, Jimmy. Martin! Martin 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 hey! Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.